uh, last Sunday, here we go, I shared in this service that there are times where the presence of the Lord does something in a guy who grew up saying no pain, no gain, no tears, you know, all of that. And all I know is the presence of God wants to do something new in me and in our church. And I'm not worried about what that means for us emotionally. So, y'all, I, I brought a few of these with me. It's not a cool handkerchief. It's, it's literally just some tissue. Uh, God is doing something in our country right now. I think you've, if you haven't heard, if you're new to the church, you're, you're, you're a, you know, somebody who's just kind of seeking things out and you haven't heard. There is something happening in Gen Z right now. There's an awakening, an outpouring, a revival, you know, a renewal. Nobody really quite knows what to label it or name it. But it is real and is the Holy Spirit moving. And I believe it's something that is going to spread across our country. I believe that in some small way, we're even going to be invited by the Lord to be a part of it. That some of that invitation is even today and, and, and is here now. So yeah, we're seeking the shalom together, but you know, what does that mean, right? What does it mean to be his church and what, what is shalom? These are questions that we're wrestling with and, and they all change in light of God's presence and being in step with him, following his promptings and letting, letting the spirit lead. I actually uh, got back into town last night a little after midnight, so I guess I got in town this morning. And uh, Wednesday night, about 3 a.m., uh, you know, I, I had been praying for a few days and, and feeling like maybe God wanted me to, to go up to Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, to be at Asbury. And I, I just couldn't make sense of it. It, it. Travel, logistics, I mean, you all get it, right? Like, we have cluttered schedules. We have things that get in the way. We have baggage that we're carrying, things that we're holding on to. And so, uh, you know, in my life, there are moments where God wakes me up in the middle of the night because I maybe have been moving too fast and, and had too much going on during the day to actually hear him. So Wednesday, about 3 a.m., I wake up and honestly, God used a text from my wife. And it was just this text that, that, that she sent after midnight, after I'm already asleep. I keep my phone on, do not disturb. If you're wondering why you can't get a hold of me sometimes, that's why. Uh, I'll get back to you when it's time, right? And so 3 a.m., I see this, and God starts speaking. And the idea of making room for him. So Thursday night, my son Dawson and I flew in, and uh, we, we were at Asbury for the last couple of days. I just want to tell you, again, nobody knows what to call it. Nobody knows what to label it right now. But as we're leaving yesterday, there are 20,000 people that have descended on that small town. Think like one stoplight in the middle of nowhere, okay? And there's nothing happening there that is like, Name-driven, celebrity-driven. There's nothing happening there that's... I mean, they're not even putting the lyrics up 
Like, y'all, I have a really good memory. But for some reason, I cannot remember song lyrics. I've never been able to. It's like this weird get-to-know-your-pastor moment. And so they're not even putting them up. And it's been hours, literally, days now into the 11th day today of people worshiping and being in the presence of the Lord. Friday morning, I stood outside. Y'all, my blood has changed. I've been in South Florida, Central Florida, whatever you call this now for a couple years. Y'all, it was 25 degrees Friday morning. I was in a puffer jacket. I was shivering. I'm looking at Vero, it's 87 degrees, and I'm going, Lord Jesus, why? Why? Two and a half hours, I'm out in the, in the middle of that, waiting to get into a room that the, I need to back up for a minute, because we arrived Thursday night, and when we arrived, immediately you could sense on that campus the presence of the Lord. It was peaceful, it was shalom, it was pure. There was such humility. And I gotta tell you, like, that's the starting point. Our pride, our desire to have things our way and to do our will versus actually being humble. The leadership there that I experienced and saw, I got to see a little of it behind the scenes. Completely humble and unified, just facilitating. Literally said, we're just facilitating what God wants to do. There wasn't posturing. There wasn't, you know, a competitiveness. It was a consecration onto the Lord. Spirit is leading and doing something there. I believe he's inviting the entire country, really the entire world, if you read the stories of people flying in right now from all over the world. To be a part of a movement in this generation that's led by the Spirit, that glorifies Jesus, that rallies people into the fellowship of believers called the church. A church that's not playing or pretending, a church that's not competing with other churches, God forgive us. But people who are desperate for him, hungry for him, and are willing to make room for him and to set aside their agendas. And so it's interesting because there's some things up here on the stage, right? Did you notice? It's a bunch of baggage. You know why I got home late last night? They delayed with my bags. I was like, God, really? You got a sense of humor. There is baggage that we carry into even the presence of the Lord. There are things that that we hold on to. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's, you know, things that we just are like, no, God, like that, this, this part of Life is, is mine, this part is yours, and we're not going to give you all of me. What, what is the baggage? What is the stuff that God wants to deal with today in your life? That if you could find freedom to just really be in his presence and allow, allow that baggage to be touched by the Lord... And you, you already probably know what it is. 
My prayer coming into this moment was, Lord, I believe you've given me something to share, but I, I, I don't want it to be anything like just because. And my sense has been that he was probably going to flip the script on me. So let me pray. Because God is likely already probably prompting your heart. My guess is, and, and I, want, I want you to hear this from me, I look at our church pathway, what God has been doing over the last couple of months, and I stand in awe of the way the Lord is working, the way he is moving. I also look at a history that goes back decades of faithful people who have planted seeds and, and have poured in to space and believed that this land and this space was set apart for God's people and to make a difference in our community. I also believe that there's been moments in, in that very history where God has allowed things, significant brokenness and crisis that also has humbled us, and if it hasn't yet, God, get us now. That have brought us to a place where we're just, we're humble and hungry and wanting more of him. So I say that to say some of you, like, you don't even need to hear from me today. You are ready to run to him. Because God has been preparing you for days and weeks and months and even some of you for years for what I believe he wants to do in this season. So I'm going to pray and we'll see where he's going to take us in his word today. You're like, wow, this is weird. It is. And, and here's the thing. If some of you are like note takers and you've already gone, gone to pathwayvb.com slash FYI, and you see that I did have a message on spirit-led leaders. I believe that message is for the church at some point. I'm actually thinking it may not be for this morning. And so I don't know when that message will show up, but if you're really, like, start twitching, and you're like, I need the notes, I need the notes, email us at hello at pathwayvb.com, and we'll send you my entire slide deck and all the notes. Father, you are so good. We thank you, Lord, for what you have begun. Thank you for the outpouring of your spirit that is happening right now, not just in Wilmore at Asbury, but it's already started to spread to other campuses. There's already signs of you working even in Times Square. God, we know that you are doing a new thing in this generation. And it is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-economic class. It is the kingdom of heaven coming. And Father, we know that your invitation is a gift to be a part of that. To not play church, to not pretend, but to recognize that, that you want to deal with our baggage. You want to prompt us to let go and to follow you, to be set apart. So I just pray, Lord, that, that your word and what you want me to share this morning would just be clear. And we'd be able to respond to you. 
So Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you'll turn with me, uh, actually, to the book of Acts. So, tech team, we are going to be there for a few minutes. Um, I'm not going to follow my outline for today, though. Um, We're going to do this a little different. And uh, as we do this, um, I trust that the Lord is going to just speak through his word. I want to create room for us to, to... really respond today. Um, And so in Acts chapter 9, we pick up on a story of a guy named Saul. Saul had a lot of baggage, but he didn't even realize it. He didn't even know it. Uh, Saul would would become Paul, and, and the apostle Paul is the one that, you know, his life was used in, in incredible and dramatic ways by the Lord. And in the book of Acts, what's interesting is we have, we have Saul and what God does in, in touching his life and setting him apart and, and how the Spirit would lead him and prompt him. But you also have, within that same chapter, some other things unfolding and happening. You have a guy named Ananias. You have a guy named Barnabas. And, and it's interesting that, that again, in Wilmore right now, there's, there's not this sense of any one person who's in control. It's Jesus working through spirit-led leaders. And see, a move of God isn't going to be one person. It's going to be Jesus working and moving in the hearts of his people and the people being prompted and obedient to follow him and to do what he's showing them. And as they do that, the presence of God comes, God's shalom, his peace, and it gets extended out into communities and neighborhoods. I, I mean, that, that's what we all hope for, right? And so as we look at this, let me actually read to you. We're going to start in verse 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. There is something that was happening in that early church. Church is the people of God. It's, it's uh, in the Greek, the ecclesia. It's this called out ones, the sent ones, the ones that are called to be his. And there was something happening in the people that, that as we see here, uh, it had five characteristics. I'll actually use that slide. There you go. It had, in this spirit-filled, spirit-led church, there was peace. Say peace. Peace. All right, good. You're still here. I know you're a little overwhelmed right now. I'm like hooking up to a fire hydrant today, okay? No apologies. Like, this is where we're at. So there's peace. There's a strength that God brings with his spirit that they were experiencing. There was an encouragement uh, the name Mar- Barnabas that, that is mentioned in this same text uh, actually means son of encouragement. How many of you need a little encouragement today? Like that's also how the Spirit will lead. Like he'll lead some of you to be exhorters and encouragers and, and to be a blessing to others so that when others encounter you and they're encountering the Lord and encouragement, the church was an encouragement. Then there was growth. They were multiplying. Thousands were coming to know the Lord or coming 
you know, in their case, coming to know the Lord. I believe in, in, in our generation, it'll be people coming back to know the Lord. That's what revival and awakening is, right? It's, it's people that are coming back and recommitting not to what they knew of church, not to what they knew of Jesus, but to a fresh revelation of who he is and what he has for his people. It's a recommitment, a surrender to him. And so there was great growth because of that. And then the godliness, the recognition that there's a fear and reverence for who God is in his presence. That, that honestly, we need to confess in the modern church, we take it too lightly. Like we take it too lightly that the invitation to come into his presence and to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Yes, he's all grace and love and mercy, but he is still a holy God. He is holy and there should be some sense of reverence, some sense of us recognizing that he wants to consecrate us. There's a word you haven't heard in a while. A word that means literally to be set apart. You see, they were experiencing both salvation and sanctification in the book of Acts almost at the same time. And somehow we've disconnected the two and, and made it so easy to receive Jesus but failed to help disciple people to actually follow Jesus. You see, there's growth in godliness that is supposed to be happening in our lives. That God wants to touch and deal with our baggage and get things out of our life so he can be more present and more active and he can move in the ways he wants to, that we can find real freedom in him. So let's back up from verse 31 and see what happened just prior. It says, but Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way, say way, way. that's actually the term. Later in Acts chapter 11, in, the, in uh, Antioch was where they were first called Christians. Um, it's the first time that shows up. It, it means followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus. Uh, see, this wasn't just about like some kind of country club membership. This wasn't just about a place you, 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 you know, you kind of warm the seat on a Sunday morning, whether it's at home, hey, or here in person. This, this was about a following of the way of Jesus, which was just entirely different than what the rest of the world was telling you to do. Which we have to recognize, like, there's something the world is telling us to do every day that is so contrary to the way of Jesus. So he's headed out with these letters because he believes that his job, Saul at this time, is to persecute, to kill even. Acts chapter seven, Saul is standing there when Stephen is the first martyr. He believes he's doing the right thing, but he hasn't yet met Jesus. It says he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's interesting, the language used around persecuting there could be interpreted uh, kicking against the ox goads. Some translations have it interpreted that way. And a goad was something that would be used to prompt and to push an ox forward. Part of the persecution was coming against what God was trying to do and like kicking against it, which in, in reality is painful, but is also fighting the very prompting of God. Falling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. He has this encounter on this road. Jesus shows up and begins to speak to him in a new and a fresh way. Now, you know, there are some that would say that, that actually because Saul was trained by Gamil, the top rabbi of the day, and, and he was a practicing you know, Jew that was so devout and so zealous that actually he may have been on that road as he walked and journeyed, carrying those letters to, to bind and to persecute Christians, that, that he actually may have been doing what many did in that day, which was meditating, thinking of the word of God, thinking of actually even a passage like Ezekiel 1. You see, they, they would actually think and meditate on things like Ezekiel 1, which was the prophet Ezekiel, who was a young man during the Babyl Babylonian captivity. So we've been talking about Shalom, right? Yes, yes, pastor. <laughs> and, and, and in that time when that was given to them, there was a young man, Ezekiel, that was set apart, called by the Lord, that had a vision of the Lord. And in that vision, for hundreds of years, they would meditate on it and they would think about it. And so there are some commentators and scholars that, that actually believe that, that Saul may have been walking and thinking about that vision. Let me read to you just a couple verses from that vision. Uh, if you could give me Ezekiel 1, uh, verse 26 through 28. It says, And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had that appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from had the appearance of his waist, I saw it was the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. He's having a vision of the Lord in the temple. It says, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. The presence of God for Ezekiel did not include the face of God. He saw God in his glory, but, but there was something missing. He didn't see the face of who the Lord was. Jump ahead to Acts chapter 9. And what is Saul having? He's having a fresh encounter, likely 
praying and meditating and thinking about who God is and his glory. And then there he is, Jesus. Jesus redefining everything. You see, for some of us, we can get so caught up and miss Jesus. Can miss who he is and what he's calling us to, how he wants to lead us. And what does that presence do to Ezekiel? It caused him to fall on his ground and worship. What does it do to Saul? He worships. And it says, actually, he's blinded. And this is where the story gets interesting. Because they were afraid of Saul. Rightly so. God shows up and prompts a man named Ananias. And as he prompts Ananias, he says, hey, I want you to go talk to this, this guy Saul on the, the, on the street over here. Imagine being Ananias. <laughs> uh, God? No. <laughs> I'm afraid I like my life. I'm going to hold on to it. And somehow, Ananias lets go of his baggage and he follows the Lord's prompting. We never hear from Ananias again in, the, in, in Scripture. We don't know what the rest of his life did or looked like, but we know in that moment, he let go of his baggage, he obeyed the prompting, and God used him to pray over Saul. You see, we have been swept up in America in a consumeristic celebrity culture that has damaged the bride of Christ. Because it is not about any one of us. It, it's about each of us doing what the Lord is leading us to do. Ananias played his part. He let go of his baggage and he obeyed the prompting. And it repositioned Saul's life. He would later be known, as I said earlier, as Paul. Ananias had no idea what God would do through him. Forgive us, Lord, for making it about us. Would we just be humble and hungry and obedient to what he has? So the story goes on. Saul is filled with the Spirit, and he begins immediately witnessing, sharing. As he does that, it also, we learn in Scripture, there's a, an incubation period of a few years also. So he's sharing, but he's also going to spend time being discipled. And a guy named Barnabas has to bring him back around and in front of the rest of the apostles. Barnabas, as I said, is a son of encouragement, and, and he's willing to use his connections. He's prompted by the Spirit of God to let go of his fear and let go of people approval to actually say, God, if you're prompting me, if you're working in this man named Saul, I'm gonna reintroduce him to the disciples so he can be a part of what God is doing and they can go to the next level. You see, you and I, if we're following Jesus, we don't get to define what he asks us to do. That's his job. We just need to receive it. We just need to be obedient to it. We just need to let go of our baggage and let his spirit prompt and lead us. And there's something that will happen in the presence of God 
that will give us the courage and the boldness, the freedom to really begin to do that. So for a few weeks now, God has just been saying, make room for me. Make room for me. I think we have a slide for that. That's how much he's been saying it to me. Make room for me. And we're just going to make room this morning for the Lord to work. I have one more passage instead of verses, and they don't have slides for this, <laughs> that I want to read over us. Uh, worship team, where are you at? You guys can come out now. I know they're all over the building. I told them to be ready. Because you've heard enough from me. But what does it look like for you and I right now to make room for him? To, to actually, whether you're a visitor or a regular, to say, God, this is sacred space. Just as Ezekiel had a vision and fell and worshiped, just as, as Saul encountered Jesus and actually realized who Jesus was in that moment, just as Ananias said yes to you, Lord, just as Barnabas said yes to you, you can read on in Acts 9 and see those stories. What does it look like for you and I this morning to just be invited into his presence? To just say, God, I'm here. I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to trust that you're, you're going to show up and you're going to do something fresh and new in my life. So as I shared with you, Wednesday night, 3 a.m., God begins to prompt me. Make, make room for me, and I want you and your son to, to come up to Wilmore. Now, did you catch that there's 20,000 people there right now, according to reports, in a small town? Here's how God will work. All the flights, all the hotels, everything that I had looked at on Monday was not available at Wednesday at 3 in the morning. But God made room for me and for my son because we followed the prompting and made room for him. We got the last tickets on our plane out. We got the last rental car of its class, because I'm cheap. <laughs> God has such a cool, he gave us a, a Mustang. It was so much fun. <clears throat> I paid for the midsize, like Malibu, and he's like, hey, we're all out of those. Would you mind a Mustang? I'm like, whoo, <laughs> Jesus. <clears throat> so we had fun. Then we got the last hotel room at the time I booked available for 20 miles. Why do I share that? Because God has the same adventure and invitation for you to just make room for him, to let go of our baggage, and good, goodness, there's a lot of it up here, isn't there? And we have it all at the foot of the cross for a reason. So I don't know what yours is, but I believe as we make room for him, he's got more that he wants to do, more that he wants to do in your heart, and your mind. Some of that may happen right in your seat. A lot of that may happen when you leave your seat. 
You see, we're going to open up this whole space up here for you to come and just worship and be in his presence, for you to symbolically lay anything down that you need to, to say, God, here I am, and to confess. Do you know that the Asbury piece started? Their words from a student leader, our chapel was dead, had been for months. And yet on February 8th at 11 a.m., 19 students stayed after, and it began with one confessing, one confessing out loud their sin. And as they did that, others began to confess, and God began to move. And there's thousands there now. Monday morning, we had a guest at our, worship, our prayer time as a staff. We start every Monday, and we're probably going to start every day very soon with prayer. On Monday, we had a time of confession and repentance as a staff that the Holy Spirit just showed up in. Church, it's just our time now together. So I'm going to pray after I read to you Isaiah chapter 6, just a few verses. God has not allowed me to to shake this passage for days. So let me read it. Would have made sense for me to find it while I was talking. I'm just going to read to you the first few verses and then pray. And then we're going to enter into his presence. Let go of the baggage. Follow his promptings. Let him consecrate. Let him set you apart. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. He is ready to receive you with wide open arms. Come see one of our prayer partners. We'd love to pray with you. In Isaiah 6, it says, In that year that the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. This is the grace, the anointing, the atonement of God being foreshadowed. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Father, we come into your presence now. We've been in your presence God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you want to do as we begin to lead, not into the closing of a service, but really in many ways, the beginning of a new birth. Something new that you want to do in our hearts and minds as you set us apart in your presence. May we fall on our faces. May we confess our sin. And Father, as we do that, may you touch us with your grace and your mercy. May you find a people that are being set apart from their baggage. 
to follow your promptings boldly and to be the people you've called us to be. Father, we don't want to rush this moment, so just pour out your pure and peaceful presence. We need you, and we're making room for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to him.